It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, you had UFC on ABC4 over the weekend, headlined, of course, by the biggie boy Jarzino Rosenstrike against Jailton Almeida. Almeida wins that one in just 3 minutes and 43 seconds due to a rear naked choke. We're going to be talking primarily about that event this week on the Co-Main Event Podcast, but I wanted to start here. The UFC went down to North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, at the Spectrum Center, as we mentioned last week. Let me lay this on you. Mm-hmm. 18,712 is the official attendance. Now, I don't know if we were doing a WrestleMania 3 style accounting of how many people were there, but that's a lot, man. And I got to say that it looked pretty full on my television screen. And according to the UFC, this event was the highest attended UFC fight night events event in the United States in the promotion's history. So I guess my question is, what's really going on? Has absence made the heart grow fonder in the world of the mixed martial arts fan? What with the UFC staying home at the apex during the pandemic and afterward? Are we just are we just chomping at the bit to get out there and watch uh, Brian battle? You know, get an early knockout. Are we are we dying to see Carl Williams versus Chase Sherman? Will we watch anything? Are we coming out? to watch these things now. Are we turning out? Because we're so excited. Hey, first of all, Brian Battle's not going to lose in Charlotte. He told us that. Not ever. He's never going to lose in Charlotte. Book him against Francis Ngannou in Charlotte, and it's a done deal. Um, I I do think it ought to be, and it seems like it is the case, that in places like Charlotte, like markets where the UFC would hit, you know, Maybe once a year, once every couple of years, that kind of stuff. That is where it seems like you could really make up some ground once you get back out there on the road for live events, right? Because it's like, you know, you're going to want to go to big cities for big pay-per-views and everything. Get out of the apex. Go to Chicago, New York. You know, of course, doing a bunch at one of the T-Mobile arenas, the one in Las Vegas. All that kind of stuff. And sure, you're going to get a good crowd there. But it's in places like where... 
the UFC would go occasionally where the people did not get a chance to see a whole lot of big time live MMA. And then you spent so much time just sort of locked down far beyond the point when you actually needed to at the UFC apex. So that when you do get out there and go for one of those, it makes sense that the people who are fans of it that are anywhere in the area are like, shit, I'm gonna get a ticket because who knows when the next chance I'll get to see one of these is. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if I knew I was never going to lose in Charlotte, I would politely ask that every one of my fights mm-hmm. was in Charlotte because then I would know that I would never lose again. See, what happens, though, if you're like, yeah, sure, I'll fight this tough-ass dude in Charlotte. Tough fight for me. Nightmare. Stylistic matchup. Doesn't matter. It's in Charlotte. Sure. And then like two weeks before, they call you up and they're like, oh, card reshuffling. We got to move you to Vegas for this one. And you go, oh, no. Yeah. What have I got myself into? It's like someone just cut Samson's hair or whatever. Uh, Well, what is the barometer here, you think, for going out on the road? Is this just random or are we picking certain fight cards? Because next week we're back at the apex for Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill. We will remain at the apex for the following week, which is a UFC on ESPN card where you got Kai Kara France against Amir Albazi in the main event. Then, of course, UFC 289. You're on the road for that up in British Columbia at one of the mini Rogers centers. But then you come back, another UFC on ESPN card for Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier. And then, I guess maybe for the ABC cards, you're on the road, because here comes on June 24th, UFC on ABC. That one's Ilya Topuria and Josh Emmett. So maybe we're going on the road just for the pay-per-views and the ABC cards? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like you can't do an ABC card in the Apex, right? Because you're trying to get that network TV audience trying to appeal to those bitch-ass casuals. They show up, they see you running this little show at a sparsely attended little warehouse kind of out there in Las Vegas. They're going to go, what? I thought this was a big-time thing. I thought this was a major sport. What the hell is this? Honestly, it surprises me that we don't have the same thing applying for UFC on ESPN cards. I get it when it's a fight night that's just going to stream on ESPN+. Plus. That's for the, the hardcores. And some of these fight night cards, as has been pointed out to us, it's not like they have blistering fight cards anyway. So uh, I I get it. I would think, though, for like ABC and ESPN and the number of pay-per-views, that's one where you want a crowd, both for, you know, live event energy and just so that it doesn't look like a Mickey Mouse operation on TV. Yeah. Well, now that you've basically pointed out that it's all about keeping up appearances, that must be right. And frankly, sad news for the future of fighting. The apex over there, if it is the company's shame, if we're trying to hide it from the neighbors, we don't want the neighbors to know that we're doing most of our events over at the apex. And we think a lot of people are going to be watching when we think grandma and grandpa might stumble onto the UFC. Then, oh, we're down. Then we got 19,000 in the house down there in Charlotte, just pretending like we're doing that every weekend. It does make a difference, you know, when you watch it. It really does make a difference in, in terms of the, the energy in the building and the, uh, the the feel of the thing where when you have a big knockout, big fight, hear the crowd react, it does make you feel like, okay, this is a more important sporting event than just something that where we're just churning out content, just setting yeah. up a camera. Some people can come if they want, but whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just a reminder, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper, where we are celebrating the the 11th anniversary of this podcast with Pledge Month. 
This is the time of year that we cordially invite you to consider supporting the show by joining up to follow us over at patreon.com slash co-main event. We're offering up no fewer than three hours of extra content over there every week, and usually it's more than that. As you know, we're a completely independent show, and we rely on the support of listeners like you to keep this show going and keep the discourse real and unfettered. Ben, is there any update on the efforts of evil billionaire Jorel Skink? Jorel Skink, is there any update on the effort, efforts of evil billionaire Jorel Skink to buy the CME via hostile takeover? What's going on with that? Yeah, we've had some uh, very contentious conference calls. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, you know, also, he's really active on social media. He doesn't use the big one, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, stuff like that. Uh, you know, he's he's more of a uh, Nubo guy. He's over mm-hmm. there on Nubo. Um, and he is noobing about us all the time <laughs> about his plans, uh, what he's going to do to the podcast. Chad, it's like the guy is just sitting there gleefully outlining plans to fetter the discourse. And it yeah. breaks my heart. It breaks my damn heart just to see it. I can't, I can't stand it. It's, you know, the guy's just doing rails off of a, a toilet seat in an executive's bathroom somewhere. And then just looking up with an evil glint in his eye, just thinking about how much he'd like to fetter this discourse. And frankly, I really hope that our listeners can can provide the support we need to stop that from happening. He's sending a lot of noobs about us? A lot Is of that noobs. what you said? A lot of noobs. Okay. Yeah. We appear well, in most of well, probably 70% of his noobs. Well, we're going to need a robust war chest that we can defend ourselves in court against the evil Jorel Slink. And look, guys, aside from the extra content, one very cool thing that we offer to all of the patrons of the CME is access to our official Discord message board. Man, I really can't say enough good things about the community over there that is constantly chatting about MMA and a lot of other stuff as well. If you're tired of the assholes... If you're tired of the red pilled, if you're tired of having your timelines full of the Zufa zombies, we got the place for you. I think it's the best community in MMA uh, where the only rule is no assholes. And the truth is we can only keep making this show with the support of our awesome listeners. Please consider this month joining the CME Patreon page over at CME uh, or patreon.com slash co-main event. Here are the special offers available exclusively to you during pledge month. We now are offering annual subscription plans to the Patreon page. This goes for if you are a new subscriber or a current patron who wants to switch over to the annual deal. You pay for the year up front. Uh, it's great for us, but it helps you too because you save on sales tax and monthly processing fees. Oh, and by the way, like we told you last week, if you join now with an annual membership during pledge month, you get 10 percent off if you join at the 10 or 20 dollar level and we'll send you a shirt for free that's right if you sign up for a one month annual or a one of the annual subscriptions at one of the two upper tiers we let you go into the cme merch shop pick out a shirt pick a size if you shoot me an email at co-main event podcast at gmail.com tell me what you want and we'll get one in the mail to you absolutely free of course unfortunately this offer is available only for patrons in the united states but the good news The good news for international patrons is that we have an exciting announcement about how we're going to get you a shirt coming up next week. 
So you're definitely going to want to listen to it to that here. It is. There it is. Come party with us guys. Uh, we think it's the funnest, smartest, most welcoming group of men and women talking fights online, but you don't have to believe us. Here's our guy, John Lee from Arizona to tell you about it. Hit us up at patreon.com slash co-main event. Hey, what's up, guys and girls? It's John Lee from Phoenix telling you to run to join the co-main event podcast Patreon. I've been listening to the co-main event for over a decade. I think I joined the Patreon the first or second day that it opened up. You already know by now that the co-main event is the best MMA podcast. You already know if you're listening to this, the Chad and Ben are awesome. But there's a whole community behind the podcast that you can join when you join the Patreon. I personally met all these people in Vegas a few months ago, and I can tell you that this is hands down the best community in all of MMA, which is saying something because if you've been around the MMA world for a while, you know that it can be kind of rough and full of terrible human beings. But if you join the Patreon, you can hang out with us in the Discord, chat and even argue about MMA without getting called a slur. Plus, you'll get access to three more shows with Chad and Ben, including the most powerful happenings in all of sports, the Patreon Power Hour. So go ahead and join. It's as little as a dollar a month for the lowest level, up to $10 a month. Highly worth it. I've been on the $10 tier for a couple of years, and the four shows really make it easier to get through the week, whether you're working out or commuting. It's really awesome. And having met Ben and Chad, I can vouch for both of them. So definitely join. You won't regret it. And you can hang out with all of us co-maniacs on the Discord. Hopefully, I'll see you soon. We got music this week from our guys Foreign Cash. Again, that's C-A-C-H-E, an L.A.-based production duo. If you like what you hear from them on the show, check out more of their stuff over at foreigncash.bandcamp.com or soundcloud.com slash foreigncash. Again, C-A-C-H-E is the word cash. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Jailton Almeida made the biggie boy look like a white belt on the first day of jujitsu class over the weekend and don't look now but gasp is there some interesting stuff going on at heavyweight and in round number two speaking of heavyweights francis Ngano has teased an announcement on his future this week naturally he's making that announcement tomorrow the day after we record this show but that can't stop us from groundlessly and irresponsibly speculating about what he's going to say. And in round number three, the UFC gave out five performance of the night bonuses on Saturday. We'll have a UFC on ABC grab bag. We'll talk Matt Brown, Ian Gary, Johnny Walker, Brian Battle, maybe more. I guess we'll find out all that. Plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. We've been telling you guys about NordVPN for a long time now. Ben and I both have it installed on all our devices. It's hassle-free and it works great. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content even when you're traveling. Stay at home virtually. Stay safe from malware with threat protection. Ben, I know you love NordVPN. What's your favorite part about using it? Well, you know, I love how it just kicks on whenever you're on a public Wi-Fi. doesn't matter where you are. 
NordVPN's got you covered. You could be down at the pawn shop getting some cash for your belongings. Uh, You could be down at the sports bar laying a bet on the Seattle Kraken ahead of Game 7. You could be outside of the sports bar vomiting into a trash can out of sheer nervousness for Seattle Kraken's Game 7. Doesn't matter. Any kind of public Wi-Fi you get on, NordVPN has you covered. Jed, you can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass password manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. And with the Nord Locker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers, loss, or malware in its secure cloud. Nobody will see, touch, or sell them. And by the way, do you want to get four free months of NordVPN instead of the usual three? Right now, if you use the sign-up link exclusively for listeners of the CME, you can. Every purchase of a two-year plan will receive four-plus bonus months on top of all that when you use NordVPN.com slash co-main or use the code co-main, that's all one word, when you sign up. This includes all the plans we always tell you about, the standard plan, the plus plan, the whole enchilada, the complete plan. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Isaac Spooner, our guy over on Patreon. He writes, fellas, Dominic Cruz was in rare commentary form during the Carlos Ulberg versus Ihor Pateria fight. He felt that Ulberg swayed Keith Peterson's decision to stop the fight and then immediately jumped on the opportunity to borderline slander Peterson, RE, Cruz's loss to Henry Cejudo. Bruh. Then he signs off, as always, stay frosty. I did see this. uh, To me, it just sort of happened in passing. And I guess you could understand how if Dominic Cruz feels like he was wronged by Keith Peterson, that would still be kicking around in his mind brain. If you if you know Dominic Cruz even a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> he's he's not the kind of guy that's going to let that wash out of his mind. It's not going to roll off his back like he's a duck or something like that. He's going to he's going to hold a grudge. That's going to be around in his mind cage, his thought cage for a long time. And so, am I surprised to hear Keith or uh, Dominic Cruz say he's not a huge fan of what he referred to as all nonsense Keith Peterson? I am not. I am not surprised to learn that at all. I mean, I get it if you feel like the guy made the wrong call in a big fight for you and it changed sort of the trajectory of your career. And you, you'd you probably dwell on it a little bit. If you're Dominic Cruz, maybe you dwell on it a lot. But to me, you got to draw a line between being like, hey, even if you think the guy screwed up, everybody's going to screw up every now and then as a ref. Everybody might call it early or call it late, you know? To the stuff where back when he was talking about him smelling like booze and cigarettes. And it's like, man, that's a step too far for me to be like this guy. He fucked up because he is treating his job irresponsibly or because he's doing something that should be like disqualifying. Like just say like you thought he made the wrong call. Anybody can make the wrong call. You know, it doesn't need to be anything more than that. It was almost like. Well, it wasn't almost like you could tell that John Anik and Daniel Cormier knew it was coming because as soon as that <laughs> well, imagine happened, how much they've heard of this you know? <laughs> in their off time when the yeah. mics are turned off, uh, you could tell this was coming at first. Dominic Cruz was like, I don't have to say anything. And then he did. Then he said <laughs> the stuff that he wasn't going to say. And you could kind of tell that uh, Daniel Cormier and John Anik were 
not surprised. Let's just say that by this yeah. outburst. Next question this week comes to us from bitch ass casual number 19. Okay. Good so, to hear from uh, BAC number 19. They write. So the UFC released the UFC 290 fight card. And aside from them listing Moreno versus Pantoja for the bantamweight title, was there anything that caught your eye? Am I crazy for thinking a Moreno versus Pantoja is a extremely low wattage co-main title fight for international fight week. Pantoja already has two wins on him. And then B am I crazy for rather wanting to see Whitaker versus DDP off the main in favor of Sean Brady versus flat nose Jackie. Uh, well you got Alexander Volkanovsky against Yair Rodriguez as your main event here the champion versus the interim champion at featherweight. This of course is July the 8th at T-Mobile arena in Las Vegas. It does highlight international fight week. And you know, some, uh, you do think that maybe you'd get a um, higher profile fight card to wrap up international fight week. And, you know, we've, we've been over and over the reasons why the UFC may not feel the same urgency that it at one time felt to stack some of these pay-per-view cards but I mean, I don't know. I I don't think you can totally uh, undersell or discount the flyweight division. I don't want for us to treat the flyweight division like it is a second class citizen of divisions. I feel like Volkanovski versus Rodriguez is is a pretty solid main event. Yeah. And then if the one twenty fivers are going to luck their way into a co main event spot, uh, I don't have any argument against it or any complaint about it. I don't know what else you would do with that fight. Uh, we know the UFC is is pretty stuck on its hard charging schedule, and it has to have its title fights when it has to have them. So, what are you going to do? Kick it down the kick it down the road for another pay per view? This is when they want to do it, and you're not going to have a non title fight be the co main if you've got a title fight going on. So, I don't really have a problem with this. Yeah, I guess this is if you're coming to it from the perspective of hey, International Fight Week supposed to be a huge deal. I remember when it was Brock Lesnar and George St. Pierre and all kinds of shit like that. And then you go to look at this fight card and you feel underwhelmed just because there's no one big monster blockbuster kind of fight that you absolutely have to see on here. There's just one. There's basically several things for the hardcores and perhaps not the bitch ass casuals because Alexander Volkanovsky and Yair Rodriguez, you're right. That's a great fight. Yeah. And right now it feels like a, the right time for it. You know, Brandon Moreno and Pantoja, yeah, you can see like, okay, yeah, you've seen it before, but not for years. And like the flyweight division has given us so many good title fights recently that if you care about like the quality of the fights rather than just the names attached to them or the the star value or something, then you got to admit at this point that flyweight is pretty often a guaranteed good time. So I like that one. Bobby Knuckles versus DDP, you know, uh, a fight for the future of the middleweight division. I'm interested in that. Of course, they got this fella I hear knows his way around a, uh, a takedown, Bo Nicall. Mm-hmm. That fella supposed to be yeah. some, something of a good wrestler. People are excited about He's on that. Um, supposed to be Robbie Lawler's final career fight here, which we're, we're putting him up against Nico Price, which, again, we're not exactly looking to send him out on a, some big legacy fight or anything, apparently. We're just sort of looking around and seeing who's available. But, you know, you got some stuff on this fight card that it's it's enough for me to get excited about. Yeah, and I don't have a problem at all with Sean Brady versus Jack Della Maddalena, a.k.a. Jackie Flatnose or Flatnose Jackie, whatever you want to call him. I think that's a terrific fight. Would I put it on the main card ahead of Robert Whitaker and DDP? I don't think I would. And also, you, you know, main card wise, you're pretty much always going to get the better known 
of the the group up on the main card. And you got to think Bobby Knuckles is kind of quarterback in that decision. You're going to put Robert Whitaker on the main card when you yeah. can. Uh, I mean, if you decided you were going to do Sean Brady and Jack Della Maddalena immediately before that on the main card, I would not argue at all with that. Uh, but you know, we're just, uh, we're going with who the, the, the pay-per-view crowd is going to know if you're going to, if you can sell one pay-per-view from, from to one guy, who's got the Bobby Nux t-shirt, which are available, by the way, at the co-main event <laughs> podcast merch shop over at uh, comainevent.com. Uh, you're going to sell that pay-per-view to him, man. And and a lot of people are excited about Jack Della Maddalena. Sean Brady had a lot of hype behind him before he suffered the loss to Bilal Muhammad. So those are both great fights. I think you're always just going to go with the the better-known guys on the main card. It's not a slight against Brady and Della Maddalena for sure. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Robert Perry, who writes, So Holly Holm is filling in for Misha Tate and headlining another UFC card. My questions to you are, can we just not? Can we just award her the inevitable decision, win or loss? I don't care and just move on. Why are we still doing this Holly Holm thing? Please discuss. Uh, She is filling in for an injured Misha Tate. This one is coming up, I think, in July. Let me just double check that real quick here. Uh, July 15th will be Holly Holm against Maria Buena Silva. That's a UFC fight night card. I don't think you can bang too hard on this one, man, just because it's an injury replacement. You got to find someone to fill in for Misha Tate. Misha Tate obviously carrying, carrying the name brand recognition part of that fight. And frankly, if you can get someone as well-known and still as popular, we talk about this a lot. Holly Holm is surprisingly popular. She's, yeah. she carries a ratings draw and a social media media following that we overlook a lot, but she is a popular fighter. If you're trying to replace the name brand in Misha Tate with someone else who can play that same role in this fight and you can get Holly home. I mean, that's great for you. If you are the UFC, as for the rest of us who are going to potentially sit through another frustrating Holly home performance where she feels you feel like maybe she could do more if she was more active and more aggressive. I don't know, maybe, but from a matchmaking perspective, I can't hate on it, man, especially given the uh, injury replacement status. Yeah, when you're trying to keep a fight together and keep a a main card fight together like that. Like the matchmakers said before, when I got to do the story on them, where they were like, you know, part of the calculation that goes into it is, especially when you lose somebody in a big fight, like a main event kind of fight, and you could tell yourself, okay, take that fight off entirely. Try to find a new main event. In other words, which is already tough to do and rebook either this fight for when both parties are healthy and available or rebook it when you can find somebody who you think is an appropriate, you know, B side or whatever to that main event. But then you, that also means you have to go tell one of those fighters, Hey, I know you put money into your training camp or that you're planning on this date and now it's not happening. And so you kind of create, a lot of problems, not only for yourself and sort of just management of the, the schedule wise, but for those fighters and, and their plans and their own finances. So you go, you get who you can get. And if you can get Holly Holm, you're right. If, if Holly Holm will pick up the phone and say yes to that, you probably feel like, well, that's a problem solved and in a decent enough fashion. Um, am I going to have an iCal alert set for that fight? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Might, might check that one out come Sunday morning. Might, might circle back. See see how it turned out, and then see the highlights. See if if I want to sit through the whole thing. Uh, that's that's kind of where I am at this point. But uh, you know, 
I understand it from the UFC's perspective. Next question this week comes to us from Donnie Darko. So nice okay. to hear from movie character, title character, t- titular character, Donnie Darko from the 2001 sci-fi fantasy movie, which is, or at least at the time, quite good. He writes, I see Kamzat has opened as a betting favorite in his rumored fight over Kamaru Usman. Do you agree he should be the favorite? Are they doing this fight at 85? Are they doing this fight at all? Uh, so here's, you, you got uh, sportsbetting.ag has released some odds for this as yet unsigned, unconfirmed fight. They have Kamzat Shemaev at minus 175 and Kamaru Usman as plus 150. You will recall that earlier this month, Dana White was doing one of his sporadic appearances on the Jim Rome show, uh, going on those radio shows or podcasts where they know just enough about the UFC to have him on, but not enough to ask him any tough questions. And he says, here's his quote about this fight. What I hate about that fight and calling him out, Usman's calling him out, but at a catch weight. I don't do catch weights. I don't like catch weights. Catch weights mean nothing. They mean absolutely nothing. If he wants to move up to 185 and fight him, we can talk about it. But trying to fight him at a catch weight, I'm not interested in. So I guess not only, Ben, would you have the sort of uh, uh, litmus test fight for Kamzat Shemaev, perhaps a stepping stone fight if you are Kamaru Usman, you would also have the double whammy of maybe having the 170 champ move up to 185 to have this fight, which I don't know, man. I guess if you're Kamara Usman, you're one of the greats, and you got to be confident, but I don't know if I'd want to do that. I don't know if I'd want to move up to 185 to fight Kamzat Chemaev. First of all, Dan Wade doesn't like catchweights until the times that he does like catchweights. Uh, I mean, and sometimes circumstances necessitate catchweights. Hamza Jameyev's last fight was at a catchweight, you'll recall. So it's not like it's an unheard of idea. I go back and forth in my mind from, from Kamar Usman's perspective. Is it a terrible idea to not only go up to 185, but to fight somebody, like just stylistically to fight a guy like Hamzat? Or is it kind of a genius idea to maintain some relevance at a time when you got two losses to the current champ as long as uh, Leon Edwards is sitting there. Nobody's going to want to see that fight again. You, plus, you are, you were in the he- holding it down at welterweight for long enough that we kind of saw you against everybody. You do need some fresh faces, uh, a little bit of a clean slate. Is going up and wait and a high-profile fight like this kind of the shortest path between Kamaru Usman and getting his name back in our in front of our minds and in MMA headlines? I mean, it's a tough-ass fight, Yeah, but if you could win it, wouldn't it really change the narrative instantly on yeah. how we think of Kamara Usman right now? Yeah, I mean, if you're Kamara Usman, you got to take some risks, right? Because, uh, you know, you're not getting any younger. And a path back to another welterweight title shot after losing twice to Leon Edwards may not be that direct of a shot for you. Whereas if you go up and you take this risk and you take what I what I think you are correct in saying is a bad stylistic matchup against Kamzat Shmaev and you win, then you are right back in play, possibly in both of those divisions. Although I'm not sure that Kamaru Usman could make a long-term play as a middleweight, but we would see. Uh, and, you know, Kamzat, despite the fact that he had the Gilbert Burns fight where he kind of got dragged into deep water, he's still a little bit unproven and unknown. And maybe if you are uh, Kamaru Usman, you think I can wear this guy out. 
If it's a main event fight and we're going five, I can drag him into the deep water. He's going to get tired. Uh, and then I will make him, th- make, make him humble. So, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I don't hate it for Kamaru Usman. The only thing that I really don't like about it is the, is the upper weight, the higher weight class. Yeah. It is tough, especially against a guy like Hamzat, who, as we've seen, when he can bully smaller guys, then he can be really effective. And yeah. you, you might go in there and give up some size against him and end up in a, a really bad stylistic matchup. But if you win, though, <laughs> if you win, it looks kind of genius. Just saying. But if you win, though, is the question <laughs> that we all ask about. All fights all the time. All opportunities, probably. Next question this week. Last question. We'll squeeze this one in from Damager. He writes, is Tiago Santos's positive PEDs pop in PFL the least surprising hot piss of all time? Discourse. First of all, positive PEDs pop in PFL is some alliteration. The PFL had a number of guys test positive. Tiago Santos, Christoph Jotko, Bruno Capaloza, and Rizvan Kuniev all tested positive, which I believe, according to Mark Raimondi, added that an additional five fighters, Will Flurry, Mohamed Fakhradeni, probably nailed it, Cesar Ferrara, Alexander Flores, and Daniel Torres had also tested positive. You have an addendum to this. PFL releasing a statement that said, it is discussing the implementation of an anti-doping program with USADA as the yeah. promotion moves forward. I, I guess you got to put out a long time. You, you know? got to put a press release out if you know, 11 guys are testing positive and you got to scramble to revamp the 2023 season. But are we surprised that an aging veteran who looks that good getting off the bus and is coming off, you know, a very serious injury not too long ago in Tiago Santos might've been getting a little help that he might've been, uh, that he might've been sneaking a little something on the side. I am not surprised. Okay, so these are like, they got caught by the Nevada State Athletic Commission, right? Like, are we talking, are these like, you know, show up to the fight and get drug tested kind of tests? Are these, because Nevada Commission has, you know, not done a ton of like out of competition testing, right? So yeah. is it possible that the guys, these guys end up in the PFL and they're like, oh, whew, I'm out from under USADA and the stringent UFC anti-doping program over there. So now it's playtime. And then they just kind of feel like, all right, I'm in PFL, I'm smooth sailing now. And then they realize, oh, shit, you do still get tested by the State Athletic Commission. (laughs) Remember those? Yeah. Uh, It is a blast from the past to have someone pop positive from a State Athletic Commission test. So I'm glad they're still doing that. Glad they're still up there doing the (laughs) testing. Yeah. I just wanted to read this one from Johnny V. He says, upon release of the Wednesday live chat episode, like parched sand under a baking sun, did I drink the water of its content? Such sweet succor did it provide lavish in life, wit and wonder upon its conclusion. With a stone certainty of sinking, did I seek out the Patreon page? As a magnet to to iron, I pledged my meager monthly tribute. A pittance do I pay to bask in thy brilliance week by week. Under this flag do I ride to this call do I answer woe and despair unto the fettered media minions long live the CME. Thanks Johnny V for that. And if you want to be stricken, if you want to be stricken by such glee and happiness as Johnny V might zap you right back to the middle ages, come join us. Patreon.com slash co-main event. You know how to sweet sucker here, here, you know, you know how to email the podcast. If you want to reach us for a future episode with your question, comment, or concern, hit us up. Co-main event.com. 
And up in the right-hand corner of the page, you'll find the link that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us right now. We are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Will ban Jarzino Rosenstrike stuffed all of one takedown attempt from Jailton Almeida in their main event fight on this UFC on ABC card on Saturday night. But I'll tell you, you want to know when I knew he was in trouble? It's when Jailton Almeida lassoed the knees, as they called it on the broadcast, then compared the takedown to Randy Couture against James Tony which is never complimentary if you are the guy who is getting taken down. But the moment that I knew that the biggie boy was in trouble was as soon as his back hit the mat and he looked over at his corner with his eyes as wide as hubcaps, just with this look on his face like, okay, what do I do now? That's when I was like, oh, this guy is fucked. Yeah, that's not a great sign because ideally we would have talked about that. You know, this is kind of what we were saying beforehand is that I believe what what I said was that if you're in Jairzinho Rosenstrike's corner, you got to tell him, look, our success does not depend on stopping every single takedown. Our success depends on getting back up when you get taken down, because you're probably going to get taken down at some point, unless you knock him out in the first 30 seconds or something. So you got to be prepared for that. And it seems like exactly the shit you didn't want to have happen where you get taken down. He advances position. And I'll tell you when I knew maybe we were in a, a bad spot here is when I see a guy in a bad spot on his back, throwing punches, hmm. throwing punches up like, like you're in the pride video game or something because <laughs> That is not a great idea against a dude who is a very adept jujitsu guy. He's looking for you to start extending some arms and leaving yourself vulnerable. And that to me was like, well, it, was that really our plan here? Was our plan that like, hey, if you get taken down, see if you can mess him up off your back. Because that's not a good plan. you got to have a, a get up plan for that. Or, or at the very least, you got to think, okay, Grab onto him, hold on, shut it down, and try to get a stand up. But even that's not a great plan. You got to have some idea for how you're going to get back to your feet. And instead, you're letting him advance position. He's just sort of methodically like a Gracie Jiu Jitsu in action DVD, just moving one step to the next until you give up the neck, and then that's it. Yeah. 
it was kind of funny also to hear the commentary team describe exactly what Jailton Almeida likes to do in his fights, go from half guard, half guard to mount, wait till you flip over and then lock in the rear naked choke and then see Jarzano Rosenstreak have that exact thing happen to him. Uh, Jailton Almeida now has won, let's see here, one, two, one, two, three, four, five UFC fights in a row, not counting his Dana White Contender Series appearance back in September of 2021. He has only lost two fights in his entire professional career. His last one was in 2018, so he's been on a real tear since then. Ben, this guy in all of his fights, in his 21 professional fights, has been to decision exactly one time, and it was that most recent loss to Bruno Assis at Chuto Brazil 80. All of his wins since then, first or second round stoppages, most of them submissions, but with a TKO thrown in here and there, he doesn't like going to decision because he lost that one. He was like, never again. This is like Brian Battle fighting in Charlotte. Yeah. Gio Almeida's like, I'm never doing the decision thing again. He has won the rest since then. I would assume that now he and uh, Sergey Pavlovich shake up as your two fastest rising UFC prospects on the doorstep of a title shot. Do you agree with that? And if you, if you're out here picking one, who are you most interested in Pavlovich or Almeida? I mean, you kind of got a lot to choose from in terms of interesting young ish, new ish to us heavyweights. Yeah. Uh, Pavlovich looks damn scary. It'd be an interesting stylistic matchup. Uh, him and Jelton Almeida, right? Like it almost seems like a real throwback kind of thing. Uh, it's a real striker versus grappler kind of situation. Don't also, don't you forget though, Chad either, just cause he's been injured about my man, Tom Aspinall. Right. There's another big fella. Seems like has a lot of upside, a lot of reason to get excited about where his future could go. So I don't know. You got some, some fun stuff going on at heavyweight and not just in the fat guys throwing hard way that (laughs) we were used to. Like, don't get me wrong. I've enjoyed the hell out of that part of the heavyweight uh, class as well. The Tai Tuivasa, Derek Lewis fights. Those are great. But now you look around and you're like, holy shit. When's the last time you could say it seemed like the UFC had several, again, young ish for heavyweight, but like, kind of fresh faces that seem good all around good athletes and like dudes that could be around for a while and really battling it out for supremacy. Yeah. It doesn't happen every day. And so I think we can't take it for granted. If the UFC heavyweight division seems fun right now, I think we got to cherish that and hold on to it. You mentioned the up and comers, which is, you know, a good crop of three guys who could all make noise And obviously having John Jones as champion up there has given the division a different look. You know, you have what we assume is going to be the fight against Stipe Miocic coming up, which will be very fun. You've still got Cyril gone hanging around. And then you got your, the Tai Tui Vassos of the world still kicking around, offering up fun fights, even if it's going to be the fat guy throwing hard uh, kind of fight. So yeah, man, I feel like the UFC heavyweight division is looking pretty fun right now with in the absence of Francis Ngannou is maybe not something that we could have planned on, but I can't complain about it right now, man. I don't know if you, uh, if you just start sending the prospects at whoever wins this Jones Miocic fight, do you start lining up Sergey Pavlovich? Do you start lining up Jailton Almeida or do they have to fight each other? Which would be a very old school UFC thing to do, but I don't know, man, if you got these guys at, 
at heavyweight, I think you got to cultivate them. I think you got to cultivate these young prospects. Well, there you get into a question, though, right? Because John Jones talking like he's going to fight Stipe and walk away. Which, mm-hmm. again, I'm on record saying, I don't believe you. Or I do believe maybe he would walk away, but he would come back. And I also think, could he walk away if people are going, as you know they're going to go, hey, John Jones is getting out of heavyweight now just in time. Yeah. Because there's a new crop coming up, big guys who can actually fight, who can actually move. He doesn't want any part of that. And so he's going to fight, you know, Cyril Gaon, a guy with no ground game. Then he's going to fight Stipe, a guy who is, you know, got one foot in retirement and his second life as a firefighter already. And then he's going to peace out before he has to deal with any of these actual monsters. Could John Jones's ego handle us all sitting around saying stuff like that in his absence? I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, I'm going to give that the big N-O. I don't think he could. I think he would tweet and delete about it, if nothing else. And I think it would be very hard for John Jones to walk away and go sit on his couch, especially if you had guys like Sergei Pavlovich and Jailton Almeida start to make a noise, start to be regarded as among the heavyweight elite. I think that that would bother him a lot. And so I kind of agree with you. I kind of think John Jones will be somewhere at 45 years old with a giant pair of trunks pulled up to his belly button fighting somebody in a circus lot somewhere in Indiana just because he doesn't know what else to do with himself. Uh, But I also think these are some tough matchups for him, man. Like I said, he beat Cyril Gaon so quickly and easily. Not that you want to criticize him for that because that's his job and he looked great doing it. But we still have not seen a ton from him at heavyweight. We still don't totally know how he will react to any adversity at all in the upper weight class. And you got to think a guy like Sergei Pavlovich could bring that adversity if he manages to stay on his feet and Jailton Almeida clearly with the ground skills to cause some problems. So those, those would be a couple of maybe difficult. And I think very interesting matchups for John Jones. And I hope if I may speak selfishly that he does in fact stick around long enough to make some of those fights happen. Maybe he would pull a Randy Couture, though. Maybe he would retire and then just wait until he sees the heavyweight <laughs> champion that he thinks he could beat, a la Tim Sylvia, and then come out of retirement for that fight. I don't know. Maybe he looks around and goes, you know what? I'm I'm feeling light heavyweight again. I'm feeling like getting slim. I'm not, like, like Kelvin Gaslam. I'm going to get ripped. You know? <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. He did a lot of work and waited a long time to make it up there to heavyweight. But <laughs> yes. why not just turn back around and go back down to 205? All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number one. Ben, former flyweight title challenger, Tim Elliott, went on the Twitter machine over the weekend and put his former wife, Gina Mazzani, on blast for allegedly having a long-term affair with, quote, friend and teammate Kevin Kroom, including Tim Elliott making the allegation that they cheated on him on their wedding night, which is pretty bad. And I guess this week, my are you fucking kidding me is, I know, my actually, I feel bad for Tim Elliott. My heart goes out to him if, in fact, these allegations are true. But at the same time, we don't know what was going on in these lives or this marriage or whatever. I know you're feeling wronged i know you're hurt 
I know you're just lashing out. You're looking to put these people on blast, but are you fucking kidding me? This is one where you don't press send. I know he went back and deleted this tweet later or all of these tweets later. Cause it wasn't just one. Uh, yeah, you see, this is one where the internal editor has to kick in to be like, Nope, you wrote it. You wrote it out, but we're not going to press send. We're not broadcasting this out to the world, Tim. We're keeping this, you know, we got whatever emotional baggage out. We could by writing it. We're not going to press send. We are not pressing send on this tweet. Save it in drafts. Whatever you have to do. Are you fucking kidding me? This is one you don't press send on. Are you kidding me? You fucking kidding me. Chad, my are you fucking kidding me this week? You'll, we'll, I'm sure, talk a little bit more about this later on. Uh, but at this fight night event, you got Matt Brown. He cashed for you, by the way, as a, yeah. a slight underdog when he went out there and pulled off this knockout over Court McGee. Uh, and hell of a knockout it was too. Yeah, Time that really right was. hand just broke. You could just hear it just crack. And Court McGee was done, and Matt Brown knew it. That is a record tying thirteenth KO for uh, in the UFC for Matt Brown. And you know the Irish fella had to find a way to make it about him because huh. he gets on there and he says Matt Brown at age forty two at forty two years of age now holds the joint highest KOs inside the UFC with thirteen KOs. Him and the Beast Lewis are tied. I hold eight KOs inside the UFC currently at 34 years of age. I'm getting this record. Are you fucking kidding me? You're going to act like Conor McGregor is even going to have five more fights in the UFC? Because I am not so sure. You know, it, each one seems like it could be the last. They haven't been going spectacular lately. <sighs> could we just let Matt Brown have his night? We just let him have his night without talking about, you know, how, how, yay, congratulations, tying the record. I will get this record <laughs> that I am not really that close to right now. Yeah. Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. What's the number? What's the total number? 13. 13 okay. KOs inside the UFC. Yeah. So let's see. Judging by how often Conor McGregor fights a decade from now, he'll be mm-hmm. knocking on the door of that? Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. Just check. Fucking kidding me. All right, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, Francis Ngannou has some news he is going to tell us. He is going to tell us tomorrow, <laughs> May 16th. He's told us that he is going to tell us. So here we sit, waiting to find out after his his, his Twitter video where he just posts, you know, it's a video of him kind of walking, sitting down in the frame while there's all these screenshots from tweets and and, and made junky headlines and stuff about what, what Francis Ngannou is, is up to, what if he fucked up by not taking the UFC's money, and then just says 5-16-23. So, first, let's play a little bit of wild speculation time. Mm-hmm. What do you think Francis Ngannou is going to tell us? And also, uh, what do you think of the way he's going about this? A little bit of a LeBron vibe so far. (laughs) Uh, But I thought it was a great promo. You definitely see it. And what you think is, oh, holy shit, we're going to find out about this thing. 
I don't know why everybody does their announcements on Tuesday, except to screw us in our podcast production schedule. But, you know, why not Monday? Isn't that when you make an announcement? <laughs> Is Monday? Why do you wait? No, I don't know Monday, why you wait for people Tuesday. Are back from the weekend, then they're just sort of getting settled in everything. Yeah, you don't want to do it Monday. You want to wait for everybody to knock the rust off. Uh, yeah. I guess one of the things we don't know to this point is whether or not this will be an MMA announcement, whether or not it will be a boxing announcement, or whether or not it will be both, or whether or not uh, he's announcing his own cooking show. Who knows what Francis Ngannou will say? I swear to God, if he comes out here with a non-MMA announcement, that's my, that might be where I finally turn on Francis. <laughs> uh, yeah, his announcement will be, if you drink a lot of Ovaltine, you he'll send you a secret Dakota ring. <laughs> Uh, here's what I think. If, if this is an MMA announcement, I don't think you gotta be a genius to figure out what's going on here. He's not going back to the UFC right now. One championship has quite publicly bowed out. Chatry mm-hmm. already put out his scorned girlfriend style, uh, description of how he and Francis are, uh, agreed not to agree on a contract. Haven't heard much from Bellator. We don't think he's going to do something crazy like go overseas to KSW. It kind of leaves the PFL as the only real relevant opportunity, the only option. Uh, We know the PFL has been spending a lot of money lately. We know they're always bragging about the venture capital money that they have. We know they're about to kick off this pay-per-view series that they need bankable MMA stars for. If it is an MMA announcement... My bet is it's going to be a PFL announcement. I bet he is going to get a lot of money up front. He may even have some of his other clauses met that he asked for from the UFC. And I would wager they're probably going to give him the option to go box someone else at a at a later date. Now, it would be a slam dunk if we announce an MMA deal and a boxing match tomorrow. But I dare not hope. I dare not hope for the whole enchilada, Ben, folks. I think what we're going to get tomorrow is a I'm going to PFL announcement from Francis Ngannou. Taking my talents to, to professional fighters, like that's what you're saying. Yes. I mean, I think I think that that's probably the most likely scenario here and leaving the boxing door open. Um, and that does seem like it would be the kind of deal that would just work out for everyone, for both sides there. Uh, so, yeah, I maybe it's like... One of the things that I thought seeing the people's reaction to this is that, first of all, it seems like ever since we heard, okay, he and the UFC are finally done, nothing going on there anymore, that the narrative was kind of, oh, look at Francis, he fucked up, he he overestimated his worth, overplayed his hand here, and you know now one FC gets out of it, they don't want to offer him a deal, well, where's he going to go? He, he thought he was bigger than the promotion, now he's going to find out different, all this stuff. And then the guy drops a thing just being like, I'm going to tell you something on Tuesday. And everybody jumps on it, which (laughs) kind of proves the point that, no, he is still a very relevant fighter. We're very interested to see what's going to happen next with Francis Ngannou. The fact that he can just do that, just be like, Tuesday, shush emoji, and that's it. And everybody's like, oh, holy shit, here we go. That tells you that, yeah, he is still a, a very bankable figure in this sport. Yeah, we started to get some questions over on the Patreon page during live chats and other things about whether or not we were worried about Francis Ngannou's free agency because he had not yet announced a deal. And frankly, I said I was kind of worried that I thought he would have a deal by now and I was kind of 
hanging around waiting to find out what would happen to him. It had been taking a little longer than I thought it would. But here we are. Man, the guy has been a free agent for what, four months? It seems like it has been longer because he sat out most all of 2022 waiting for his contract to expire, but he was officially stripped of the heavyweight title in the UFC and declared a free agent on January 14th, 2023. He will make his announcement tomorrow on May 16th. So almost exactly four months of free agency for Francis Ngannou. That's not that long, honestly. And so... To all of the people that gathered around to say that he made a mistake, that he miscalculated, that he would need to come crawling back to the UFC, many of whom, let's be honest, kind of UFC shill type individuals who would say that, or just Zufa zombies blindly walking through the Twitter replies, brains, that kind of thing. The joke is kind of on them, especially if he announces a deal that seems like it is great for Francis Ngannou, which... Every indication suggests, and my guess is that it will be great for him. It'll be uh, it'll be kind of a shush emoji type moment for him. And not that it will stop them from showing up in the replies and being all Francis Ngannou will never be relevant again. Uh, even though here we are in prize fighting trying to get that money, which comes before whatever nebulous idea of relevance you may have as, you know, Kevin... C five two four eight five on Twitter might say, but uh, no, I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be a big moment for him, and I think it will, in fact, in a perfect world, shut up a lot of doubters. Although we know that in this world, the doubters never shut up. Yeah, never ever. Uh, what about you? If you you on board? What if we get a boxing announcement here? What if it's both? I mean, we we already have right this alleged relationship between the PFL and Jake Paul who was over here making boxing stuff happen. If I will ask you first, do we get a boxing announcement? And then I will have a follow-up question. I say the announcement is probably just PFL with the boxing door left open, being like one of the reasons I like this deal is so I can go box and I will have something to announce there in the future. I don't think we'll get the whole shebang right there. That's my guess. Follow-up question. If there is a fork in the road for Francis Ngannou's boxing future, and one fork is I go fight Tyson Fury and or Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder for a bazillion dollars, but I almost certainly get my get my butt kicked because I am not a boxer. And the other fork in the road is I go over to Jake Paul's promotion and I beat up some YouTube guys for a couple million bucks. Which one is better? Well, Francis Ngannou could mess around and kill a YouTube guy. Like, we <laughs> can't true. do that. We can't, yeah. you know? Yeah. the I think the worst case scenario for him would be, what if you go and you fight a boxer who is not super well known to the masses, but is also, though, good, a technically good boxer who could beat you, and that it's not the huge, massive payday as it is what you see as being, like, you know, a, a, a brick in the the wall that you're building, I think that would that you want to get the one big one in boxing. You want to keep your hand in MMA with PFL. I think fighting like a, a skilled boxer who could actually beat you uh, and not getting that one big payday would be kind of the nightmare scenario there for Francis and Gano. I do wonder somewhat if you're a dude heavyweight in the PFL and the announces he's coming over there. Are you going? Uh oh. Or are you going? Okay, here's my chance. Like, yeah. I mean, if you, you were a nobody was going to care. 
Yeah. If you yeah. were a normal human, you would pretend like you dropped your phone in the toilet. Uh, but MMA fighters will be, they'll be raring to go. They want to get that money and they want to get that opportunity. And frankly, I've said it again. I've said it before. I will say it again. I think it's a pretty big risk for him to fight in MMA if he does so before he has a boxing match. Because if he were to mess around and lose one of those fights, I don't know what happens to his drawing power in boxing. So in a perfect yeah. world, I would think if you are Francis Ngannou's people, you say, let's go fight Anthony Joshua and get paid 12 million bucks or whatever, and then come back and do whatever PFL pay-per-views we have, not the other way around. But maybe you can't swing it like that. I don't know. But we'll find out tomorrow, apparently, unless he's just teasing us, unless he's going to pull a fast one, unless he's got silly little guy energy. And he's going to make some other announcement, which... Francis, you, you better not. That doesn't seem like him, though. No, it doesn't. That, that doesn't seem like it's in his character. I think we will get a, a substantive announcement for him tomorrow. And I, my assumption is we will be talking about it on Wednesday during the live chat over on the Patreon page. So there is that. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, we are going to try to mix in as much stuff as we can from this UFC on ABC card over the weekend. Let's start with Matt Brown, because you talked about him a little bit earlier in the show. You mentioned him and the total knockout record here for the UFC. As they said multiple times during the broadcast, he is 42 years old. He has been on an uninterrupted UFC streak, a career in the UFC beginning in 2008 and lasting until Saturday night and beyond. First of all, I guess I'm, I like a Court McGee-Matt Brown matchup for a couple of guys like this. If you're going to have Matt Brown stick around and continue to fight into his early to mid-40s, I like to see him fight Pierce, guys like Court McGee, rather than to see him matched up with some younger up-and-coming fighter who is going to uh, make his name off beating Matt Brown. So kudos to matchmakers, frankly, for giving us Matt Brown against Court McGee. Uh, we mentioned how he essentially turned the lights out on Court McGee with a punch right to the middle of the face that made Court McGee, Matt Brown, the referee, everyone watching at home, everyone in the arena and the broadcast team immediately know that this fight was over. So there's that. Here's my question. How do we think about Matt Brown historically? How do we put what he has done in the UFC in some kind of historical context? Or where does he fall in any conversation of UFC history, MMA history, awesome guy history, whatever? I think where he falls is in the awesome guy history. And that I think that we need to get better somehow as a sport of giving those guys their doodaps, giving them the credit they deserve, and knowing what category to put them in, but also knowing that that's not a bad category. That's not a, a a stain on their reputation just to be like, hey, okay, you weren't the champ. You didn't ever get up to that level, but you were awesome for a long time. You were a tough-ass dude who was a tough fight for just about everybody, and you did it over such a long period of time that that in itself is a career accomplishment because if this is such a hard sport to stay good in, to stick around in and to just not either fall off physically or have people just figure you out. 
And to be able to do it at the level he's done it at for that long, that itself, regardless of the knockout records or anything else, just the longevity and the consistency, that is an accomplishment. Yeah, and you know he's one of these guys that I feel like has made the most, the absolute most, out of his athletic gifts. Uh, you know, when Matt Brown shows up at the Ultimate Fighter 7 finale in 2008 to fight Matt Arroyo, I don't know if we're looking at Matt Brown and being like, well, this guy will still be around in 2023, having relevant fights in the UFC. But here he is. He's still doing it. At one point, he wins seven fights in a row uh, during 2011 to 2014, pretty much, uh, and then loses the title eliminator to Robbie Lawler, obviously, back in July of 2014. But uh, a long tenure for Matt Brown in the UFC, an overwhelmingly positive one for the most part. And, you know, a guy who is maybe against some odds crafted a career for himself there, which I think is terrific. And uh, I'd like to see him keep on for at least a couple of fights, as long as we can find him uh, people of a certain age to fight peers. As I said, people in the same graduating high school class as, <laughs> as Matt Brown, uh, you mentioned Mark Coleman in his corner, but uh I love to see guys bringing in Coleman, man. A couple of Ohio guys out there training with each other. I saw a shirtless picture of Mark Coleman in the the last days of the Matt Brown training camp. And I got to say, you know, Mark Coleman, given his age and the things that he has been through, still looking okay. Getting off the bus. May we all have a body like Mark Coleman when we're getting up there in age. And a beard. He's looking great with that white beard, man especially after having a hip replacement, you know, doing pretty well. Uh, you know, what I was saying when you and I were talking before was I, the thing I like about having Mark Coleman in the corner is when somebody has him there, you're going to know it. You're yeah. going to know it for sure. There's no way you're going to, you're going to be watching the fight, hearing some dude yelling like, yes, again, bro. And you're going to be like, wait, is that Mark Coleman? Yeah, you're damn right. It's Mark Coleman. Ain't no mistake in that. Not just gonna, you know, you know, it's not gonna be one of those things where he has him in the corner and you don't notice it until he's standing there during the post fight interview and you see him over his shoulder and you be, well, holy shit, did he have Mark Coleman in his corner this whole time? <laughs> no, yeah, you know he did because you hear him right away. Yeah, uh, Ian Gary welterweight fight kicks Daniel Rodriguez in his head for the TKO stoppage, two minutes and fifty seven seconds into the first round. The twenty five year old uh, Irishman is really a fast rising star now, twelve and zero overall with five wins in a row in the UFC, a couple of impressive stoppages now in a row for Ian Gary. I'll tell you what, this kid is a problem at 170 pounds. He is big, he is tall, he is rangy. He throws incredibly crisp, straight punches that seem like they all are hard as shit, and then he will mess around and kick you in your head if you have a momentary lapse of defense. Uh I'm very excited, frankly, to see what happens with Ian Gary. He seems like uh, a guy who in some ways understands the showmanship part of these uh, interviews and things like that. So I think he's good at getting his name out there. And I'll tell you what, they mentioned on the broadcast that to me seems like a good idea is that he plans to go on a bit of a world tour to uh, be a nomad, in his own words, to go study with all these different camps and try to round out his skill set, which is something that we did not see from a previous Irish UFC superstar. And you could argue was one of many things that perhaps led to his not being among the very best anymore. So I got nothing but positive things to say about so far about Ian Gary. 
Me too, especially because I plan to do some bragging about my Ian Gary via KO or TKO uh, bet on $5 or $20 whenever I want to see again, which cashed uh, and really helped me out when I needed it this week. So uh, congrats to Ian Gary and congrats to me for seeing that one coming. And that is the kind of professional analysis that the people tune in to get. Mm-hmm. Everyone at home was, was wondering how your personal bets went. And now we know. <laughs> well, and you're, you're going to find out more about how I actually won a Major League Baseball bet Jesus Christ. come Friday when we, uh, we do a little bit of recap of last week's action. Because, yeah, I've been, I was very excited to see that one hit because I'm going to put it right up in your face. That's yeah. a little that's, that's that's something for people to look forward to on Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm sure everyone's flocking to the Patreon page now to hear you brag about your bets on Friday. That's uh, right. Johnny Walker, three wins in a row now in the light heavyweight division. Most recently, obviously, the unanimous decision on Saturday over Anthony Smith. Kind of beat the brakes off Anthony Smith toward the end there. This one appeared competitive for most of the 15 minutes. And then down the stretch in the third round, you really saw the damage start to accrue on the body of Anthony Smith and the last minute or two minutes, whatever it was, he seemed to get stung by something and he was, he kind of decided he didn't totally want to be there despite the fact that Anthony Smith being as tough as shoe leather, his body wouldn't really let him completely give up. He stayed out there. He made it to the end, but uh, this in the end, despite the fact that it wasn't a highlight real fight it did turn out to be a somewhat overwhelming performance for johnny walker didn't it yeah i gotta say i'm a little surprised with johnny walker because it felt like we had him pegged as the weirds mobile who's going to go out there and when he does his weirds mobile shit sometimes he's going to win sometimes he's going to lose or he can try to fight smart and be boring and suck and that felt like the kind of two settings he had and here he seems to have found kind of a third setting which is, you know, a smart game plan, but also like uh, a winning game plan for him. And you're right about Anthony Smith being super tough and everything. And then maybe a lot of other light heavyweights, Johnny Walker gets out of there uh, with this kind of performance. But it did. It seems like, okay, maybe we prematurely thought we had the book on Johnny Walker. Maybe he is capable of a little more growth than we realized. Yeah. Uh, and in true Dana White style, when someone figures out how to fight smart and go out there and get victories, he didn't like it. Eh, Dana White did not <laughs> like it. Didn't really think it was impressive from Johnny Walker. Just didn't. Just didn't care for it. I guess. Yeah. Well, that's you're out there telling the guys they make twice as much money to win as to lose. So uh, deal with the consequences of that. Brian Battle, 14-second knockout over Gabriel Green in the first round. This was one, I hate to say it this way, but the joke was kind of on Gabriel Green, who stormed out of his corner, really trying to bring the fight to Brian Battle, turn it into a brawl, push him up against the fence, overwhelm him with strikes, and then it backfired on him because Brian Battle knocked him right out with a punch in 14 seconds. He will never lose in Charlotte. Ben, as you as you let me know uh, earlier in the show, I feel like Brian Battle appears to be a different person every time he shows up to fight. Like you think I'm always like, oh, Brian Battle, I know that guy. I know what he looks like. And then he shows up on my screen and I'm like, is this the same guy? Did he what are we doing here? Now we got the blonde hair. We used to have the curly, long black hair. Now we're doing a different thing What? It's just a different guy every time I see him, but maybe that's uh, skills wise as well. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he is a fella uh, 
28 years old. So, you know, he's one of those things where he shows up, different hair, different whole thing going on. You know, he's, he's, he's out there finding himself, trying different stuff out. Nothing wrong with that. I do think uh, it's it's something you want to note in the scouting report if you're going to fight him, that's, that the guy doesn't lose in Charlotte. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's something I, I want to know. I want to know about that. So, uh, you know, maybe make a note. Um, but, uh, yeah, it does seem like this is – it's a fight like a fighter like this every once in a while that kind of – where it feels like the – normal system that we have now it works against them because they'll show up be awesome and we go oh shit yeah that was an awesome one man and then but it's so hard to remember even two weeks later that it even happened and then if you're gonna fight you know once every four to six months or something like that then when you show back up we go who is this guy again i kind of vaguely recall him you know it's it's tough it's tough to kind of find and maintain traction that way yeah and you're like oh it's the guy with the hair and then he shows up he's like oh now he's got different hair how am I supposed to keep track of guys when they have different hair, Ben Folks? I'm too old for this shit. Got to have the same That's... hair every time or I'm not going to remember you. Now, he might not lose in Charlotte, but I do see one where he has a loss from early in his career in Hickory, North Carolina. Mm. So, is it, I mean, I, are we talking like city limits? Like, we need to know a little bit, like, what the, what the parameters are of that. Yeah, you're going to have to Google Maps that one, my guy, because I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you where Hickory, North Carolina is. In any case, uh, let's go ahead. We'll move on to just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your just saying stuff this week? Um, okay, first of all, I'm going to point out that it is just outside Charlotte. Hickory, <laughs> just northwest of Charlotte, a little bit. Um, but my just saying is Brian Battle related. And just hear me out on this one. I can't be alone here. Chad, I'm just saying, when Brian Battle talks... Am I the only one here in Forrest Griffin? He got Forrest Griffin voice. Okay. I hear you. You please tell me you hear it. I'm. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm going to have to do a, a an audio analysis. I'm going to have to break this down in the lab to to figure out what what if if you're onto something here. Go back and listen to his post fight interview. Close your eyes. Okay. Tell me you don't hear Forrest Griffin. I'm just right. saying. Yeah. Brian Battle has Forrest Griffin voice, and I think everybody should know. Okay, just saying. that is one of the more specific just saying stuffs we've ever had in this yeah. in this podcast. Mm-hmm. I'll check it out though. I am after as soon as we're done here, I'm gonna go listen to Brian Battle and close my eyes and see if I see if I picture Forrest Griffin. See that you do. Uh, this week, Ben, I'm just saying, Cron Gracie has released a statement about his performance at UFC 288 against Charles Jourdain. We all remember this one. We all remember how this one went. Uh, he did not throw many strikes he looked very limited here is his instagram story uh where he provides this explanation in a lifetime of fighting it's always been a fight to the death gracie wrote first of all no that's not correct understand the situation and willing to limit myself even that being said i threw no punches i threw no punches because of bad advice and tried to please the jujitsu community two days before my fight. First fight in my life, I didn't throw a punch. Going back to my old ways, he says. So I guess I'm just saying, if you get advice from anyone ever prior to your fight in the UFC that the best approach for you would be to not throw any punches, that's bad advice, bro. 
that's bad advice. You should throw at least one. <laughs> just, just try it. Just throw one out there. You should throw at least one punch in your professional mixed martial arts fight in the year 2023. And in fact, I don't know who would give you that advice. I don't know who would say, here's what we do. Kron, headed into this fight, I'm going to blow your mind. Are you sitting down? No punching. Just no punching at all. A couple of Gracie-style kicks in the ground stuff. That's it. No punching. And you're like, oh, you know, this is interesting. It's an interesting approach. I'm just saying, no, that's bad advice. Don't take that advice. Throw punches. What do you think that guy's face was like when Chrome Gracie came back to the locker room after losing that fight? And he was just like, everybody's kind of looking at him. He's like, okay, I know what you guys are thinking. <laughs> but I still think it could have worked. It was well-founded. The foundation of my advice was was proper. Uh, I'm just guessing nobody actually gave him that advice because I can't imagine it. <laughs> can't imagine anybody giving that advice. In any case, that's going to do it for Just Saying Stuff and this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast coming up. We've got After Hours. And this week, it's After Hours for everybody, not just for the $20 patrons of the Co-Main Event. It's Pledge Month. It's ab- it's After Hours for everyone. Come on in the club because that's, what, that's what's happening for everyone during Pledge Month. But here we go. Like I normally say at the end of the show, we are done, we are through, we are out. Except we're not, because we're going to keep talking about stuff right now. Uh, ben, we got to talk about Misfits Boxing 7. Do we? Yeah. Do we have thing, to talk about it? A thing that happened over the weekend. Uh, KSI had a controversial knockout. You had a, a brawl featuring Tommy Fumbles at ringside. I got, but My first thing is, man, they've done seven of these. This is Misfits Fighting 7. There were six previous Misfits Fighting events prior to this. We're on number seven, which is just blows my mind, just to say that out loud. I would not have guessed if you'd asked how many Misfits boxing events uh, have there been. I sure wouldn't have said seven, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, We saw the brawl cage side between Tommy Fumbles and some other guy. See, you're doing a thing. You're saying Tommy Fumbles so much that you're forgetting (laughs) that that's not actually his name. (laughs) He got in a brawl with some guy that he was apparently on some reality show with. Oh, okay. Act like you don't know now. Okay, we'll um, say who it is if you know Mr. Smart Guy over well, there with see, your finger on the I pulse only, of whatever reality show this is. I only know because when you mentioned this when we were emailing and I was like, what? Tommy Fumbles got into a brawl and you sent me this MMAfighting.com link. I got to read you this sentence because it, it melted my brain a little bit. This one's from the MMA Fighting Newswire. I'm stunned and no one wanted to put their name on this one. Uh, Tommy Fury was ringside for all of 10 minutes before trouble found him at Misfits Boxing 7. A brawl between Fury and fellow Love Island star turned professional boxer Idris Virgo erupted in the crowd on Saturday during Anthony Taylor's upset win over Salt Poppy. God. Just let that let the words wash over you and see yeah. if you can catch the meaning what any of them actually convey here. Who who what? Hey, what? First of all, I had to look up because I was like, wait a minute. Is Salt Poppy? Salt Poppy is different than Salt Bay. Oh, you remember a, Salt Bay? Yeah, it's, it's not that guy. The salt. It's not that guy. It's a different it's guy. It's not that guy. It's a Get different the fuck guy. Out of here. There's two so, salt guys. What does this guy do with the salt? Uh, well, okay. See, I hate that I, I <laughs> you even know, allowed myself you know the to do this. this. I do now because I. <laughs> 
just kind of trying to to Google Salt Poppy and be like, what the fuck is this guy's deal? What what are we even talking about here? I came across this article from The Sun in the UK uh, where they saw me coming with this one because it just the, the headline is who is TikTok star Salt Poppy and what's his real name? That's some great Apparently, SEO. So he's like a TikTok guy, a social media guy where, um, quote, on his TikTok, he posts mostly boxing videos and funny reaction content, which gathered him 4.2 million followers and over 125.8 million likes across all his videos. I mean, those are power slap numbers, really. Uh, he also <laughs> became popular across the UK for the way he seasons British takeaways with salt, meaning like takeout food, okay. similar to Salt Bay. Oh. Similar not the same guy. This guy's a boxer and has like three fights or something. Here's the part. I I hesitate to even tell you this part. When we get down to the part of the article where they deliver on their promise to tell us Salt Poppy's real name. And here I, here's where I feel like they're just fucking with me. Because it says in big bold letters, what is Salt Poppy's real name? Next graph. Salt Poppy's real name is Busta Breezy. <laughs> No, it isn't. You know, no, it isn't. What are you doing? Oh, why are you wow. Why are you messing with me, the son? Real name Busta Breezy decided to go with Salt Poppy as his uh, nom de plume for his, his TikTok thing. Uh, man, it's too bad they gave out the Pulitzer Prizes last week. <laughs> I think we would have had a real contender there from the son or whoever that was. I will give credit for this. You know how sometimes you see an internet thing. It's like, oh, click here to watch a brawl. And it's just, it's not a brawl. It's some pushing yeah. and shoving. This one seems like maybe an actual brawl. Like you have an extended period of uh, mosh pit style gang fighting in the K ringside area here at Misfits Fighting 7. Uh, and the shout out to this post that I looked at from MMA Fighting providing a Kennedy assassination style breakdown of multiple angles. Every angle of this brawl available on the internet was cobbled together for this MMA fighting post. So I got to see it from multiple angles. Tommy fumbles providing me with an actual brawl. I got to respect him for it. Right? When you click on the link, you don't know if you're going to get a brawl. And here, here we got one. We got a brawl. That's where the bar is, huh? This is that you, you want there to like, if you, bring me in with a, a promise of a brawl. I need to see th punches thrown and you see it. And then you're like, all right, mission accomplished. You know what? My favorite part of the video was please, by all means, tell me I'm dying my to know. My favorite part of the video is that the entire time the brawl is going on, the bad touch by the bloodhound gang <laughs> is playing on the stadium PA. So while this brawl is happening, we're listening to the We'll Do It Like Animals on the Discovery Channel song by the Bloodhound Gang. I love that. It's a little something for me. Just a little just a little Easter egg for this guy. That is exactly the kind of stuff that you would love. Uh, KSI knocked out a guy named Joe Fournier in this boxing event. I assume this was the main event. You know, KSI, now I'm going to go into drive time sports talk radio type voice. KSI is probably the guy that I have heard the most about in my life while maintaining that I have no idea who this guy is. 
I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I couldn't tell you why, like the sot salt poppy he is somewhat famous i couldn't tell you how many fights he's had i couldn't tell you anything about ksi he's the guy that i have seen and read the most stories about in my life while still knowing absolutely nothing about him he goes out and fights this guy joe fournier who was another guy i've never heard of in my life knocks him out but then you go you watch the video you watch the highlight social media video uh this is an elbow this is an elbow straight to the jaw by KSI, which calls the legitimacy of this entire event into question. <laughs> yeah, this is what does that. Yeah, I mean, he does he does catch him with the elbow there. That is true. Um, who would have thought that such behavior would be tolerated at Misfits Boxing 7? Not me. Certainly not me. I would have thought did, they were running a really tight ship. Did you see Jake Paul come out after and demand that this result be overturned? And turned into a no contest because in his words, I have too much respect for boxing mm. mm-hmm. to allow this to stand. You fucking kidding me? I, you got to give Jake Paul credit. That man knows his way around a troll job, you know, and he's you not kidding quit. me, Jake Paul. Too much respect <laughs> for boxing. So you're going to overturn this one. Yep. Wow. Well. I guess that's it. You got anything else you want to say about Misfits Boxing 7? How was the rest of the card? single damn thing do I have to say about it. How was the rest of it <laughs> as you were sitting at home watching it? It was an was emotional it? journey. The, a the, kaleidoscope of human experience. The British press seems to love this shit. You Google anything about Misfits Boxing and you're going to get like five articles from the UK press. Maybe KSI is from England, for all I know. I have no fucking idea, but maybe he is. So Bobby is, so who knows? Yeah, maybe it's a whole British affair. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for After Hours this week. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to The Proper. We are back on Wednesday for the live chat, and then we will have this full week of Patreon content for you. Live chat, doing the damn thing. Power Hour, in that order. Thanks for listening, everybody. As for right now, we're done. <laughs>